0: Okay, would you uh, take your bulletins, please, and your bulletins you find the scripture reading today from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 17. let follow along as I read, please. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The pastor's going to tell us later whether Trudeau is the emperor. Uh, you see in your bulletin there the prayer request at the top of the middle page. Uh, there's a potluck Sunday coming up here this month. We have five Sundays in April, so we have a potluck at the end of this month. And on the back of your bulletins. Uh, this Saturday coming is the Community Parks Cleanup Day, if you'd like to be part of that, you, uh, join in there, it starts at 10 o'clock, I think you get a free t-shirt and a free lunch, is that right, Pastor? Free t-shirt. Oh, okay, alright, that was last year, oh, you were handing out t oh, okay, uh, special ladies meeting on the 26th, uh. Carol Jones, who's not here this morning, I don't think. Carol's the special speaker. So, ladies, look at that, please. Uh, other announcements there. Uh, there's some condolences there and thank yous that you should read. And uh, Pastor, would you come and pray for us, please?
1: On, on uh, Wednesday nights, we uh, have a Bible study that go is going through First Peter, and uh, we've been doing it for four months and we've made it to chapter two (laughs) Uh, and uh, one of the verses really uh, really struck me and uh, so uh, the next four weeks we're going to think about uh, one verse uh, or two verses and uh, what that means for us today and if you look at chapter two and verse uh, twelve 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. It's in your bulletin. And notice what he says. Well, let me start in verse 11. Dear friends or beloved, loved ones, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And that verse 12 really struck me. It says, live such good lives among the pagans or the nations, Greek word ethnesen, from which we get the word ethnic, among the nations, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And I was reading through that, and I thought, wait just a second. That's Christians today. We have now entered a society and a time and culture where the culture and the world looks at Christians, those who believe in their Bible, and they accuse us of wrongdoing. They accuse us of being wrong and being not just wrong, but as as being some of the worst people in society. They accuse you of wrongdoing. What should we do? So the next few weeks, I just want to think about that because now we have entered that time in society where society looks at you. If if they truly know what you believe and if you believe the Bible and you just start to say, here's what I think is true, they're going to go, you're a bad person because of these reasons and so how should we respond to that? And the short of the message is in that verse. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, let them see your good deeds. What are we going to do? We're going to live a good life. That's our response. Now, Peter is writing to Christians who are experiencing that very same thing in society. He writes this book, and he is writing to those in the northern part of Turkey Pontus and Bithynia, and that was kind of like the Wild West of the Roman Empire. It was barely civilized, but Roman culture and Greek culture had gotten there, and Christians had gotten there in a few numbers. Remember, Paul had gone, and he was going to go to Asia. That was this area. He wanted to go to this area, but the Holy Spirit wanted him to go to Macedonia, to Greece, And so instead he went to Europe. And now Peter, in the 60s, probably close to death, he has heard that Christians in this area of northern Turkey are suffering. And culture is saying all kinds of terrible things about them as Christians. And so he writes this letter. He writes this letter to encourage them, to encourage them in Christ, and to say, yes, even though it's going to be difficult for you in the culture, here's what you need to know, and here's how you need to respond. And uh, I thought, well, that's, that's, that's the world that we're living in, as Peter writes to them. Um, uh, for most of, the, most of the time, probably in your lifetime, uh, being a Christian has not been a disparaging word. Uh, it is today. We're now spoken of as evildoers, and there are a number of reasons. We, we don't celebrate same-sex marriage, and we won't celebrate it. Uh, we say that abortion on demand is wrong, and it kills babies. We say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That makes us intolerant and bigoted. We believe that God has done great miracles and that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that God created the world, That makes us anti-science. And uh, all of these things are said to disparage us as Christians. Um, For most of our lives, it has been a privilege. We have had privilege being Christians. Now that privilege is gone, and now it's a mockery. Now, when I was a kid, I was a teenager in the 70s, and uh, my first job was at the University Hospital in London. And I worked in the dietary department. I delivered food to patients. And uh, we had 110 people who worked in the department. And uh, there were a number of guys who were hired with me. And there were maybe 14 of us who were teenagers, early 20s. And out of the 14 guys, I was the only Christian. And out of a department of 110 people... I knew of four other people who were Christians and who were living out their faith. And uh, I would go to uh, work and uh, the guys would be getting drunk and they would be partying and they would be wanting to have sex with girls. And then there was me. Uh, They would use colorful language and I wouldn't use colorful language. And uh, it it felt even then like like I'm a a weirdo. Like I'm I'm the only one living this way. Uh, especially as a teenager. Like, not many people are trying to live a holy life. Well, guess what? That was bad enough when I was a teenager. It's way worse now for kids who are teenagers and for people in society. Uh, Today, not only would you have, out of 110 people, you might only know five people that are Christians, but those five people would be thought of as bad people as uh, dangerous, and something's wrong with them. At least at least I was respected. For, for, I was respected for my views and respected for my stand, and people knew where I was. Today, if you were to say, you know something, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in sex outside of marriage, they'd be going, well, you're a problem, right? You, you look down on everybody else. You, you are a real problem. Culture has shifted. And uh, Peter is writing to, to Christians who live in a culture much like ours, where not only were we the minority, were looked at as bad people. Now in Peter's day, the things they were saying about Christians were things like, they're cannibals because they eat flesh and drink blood. Or they have loose morals because they call each other brothers and sisters and they hug and they kiss. And they, and they say they're all one family, loose morals. Uh, they were saying things like uh, they're atheists. Christians were accused of being atheists because they only believed in one God. And uh, they said, well, Zeus is not a God, and Apollo's not a God, and Athena is not a God, and Artemis is not a God. And the culture was going... Come on, you got to respect our gods. Like we'll respect your gods. And Christians go, no, we, they're not gods. They were thought of as atheists. And and bad thing after bad thing was said and thought about Christians. And uh, he writes this this letter to encourage them. And so I, I want you to get encouragement from it too. Um, so we're going to do three or four weeks on this. Uh, this week we're just going to look at one little section of this. We're not even going to get to the good deeds section. That's the key, right? We're not even to get to that this week. Won't make it. Uh, just read an article uh, on the 13th about Jane Russell. Remember Jane Russell, the pin-up sex symbol? I had to look up who she was. I didn't know who Elvis was, no. J- Jane Russell was a was a pin-up sex symbol. She, she made Hollywood movies. Uh, the, one, the one I remember that she made was Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and she made that with Marilyn Monroe. And uh, the two of them were considered sex symbols. Uh, well, as uh, she, she uh, wanted to have children, and when she went to have her first child, she had an abortion, and the abortion was done um, in a back alley without a proper, proper medical procedure, and so she could never have a baby again. And so she adopted children, and she adopted three children. And as the children were starting to grow up and go to school, she realized that her children were having a difficult time at school because she was a sex symbol and a Hollywood actress. And so she quit the business. And she quit the business and a uh, strong Christian and uh, wanted to live out her Christian life. Well, today she goes, people, people would say things about her, like she's a bigot and she's intolerant. Because she believes Jesus Christ is the only way, and uh, it was interesting as she lived out her life for her children today that would be looked at as something's wrong with you. you give up you give up that kind of a career just to raise children and uh, Christians who want to do those kind of things are thought of as weirdos, strange, something's wrong with them. Um, If you think through the scriptures, and we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. Here are examples of Christian heroes who lived in cultures that were against them and yet they thrived. Noah. And I'm going to talk about Noah in a little bit. Right? The whole world was evil. Noah was the only righteous one. Think about that. At least we've got each other here. (laughs) Who did Noah have? His wife and his kids. That was it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were sojourners, pilgrims, strangers in the land of Canaan. Canaan was known for its evil. And there's Abraham... Isaac and Jacob live their entire lives, after they moved there, live their entire lives in this land where they're kind of the only ones living that way. Or you think of Joseph. He goes to Egypt. Here's Joseph trying to live for God. How many other people are living for God? Nobody. They're living for Ra or Horus or Osiris. Or you think of uh, some of the exiles, like Daniel, and Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, or even, to the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, and Peter. If uh, people are going to speak against you as evildoers, and uh, believe me, they're going to do it. If you're going to say, I'm a Christian, they're going to say, you're a bad person. Uh, what should we be doing? Point number one. So this is point number one. This is the message today. You've got to know who you are. You have to know who you are. And it comes right out of the passage. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, foreigners and exiles, that's who you are. Know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you're not going to make it. So this is the first point. You've got to know who you are. As people say evil things against you, if you don't know who you are, you're going to go, well, man, there is something wrong with me, or I'm not fitting in, or, or I've got to change something. Well, know who you are. And I wrote down, uh, I don't know how many things I've got down here. Just take them point by point. Eight things. Notice, you are a chosen people, a chosen people. When everyone else is against you, you need to know you're chosen. That's also the word for elect in the other places in the Bible. God looks at you and he goes, I want you to be on my team. I want you and I pick you. On Friday, on Friday uh, I was just playing basketball, and uh, I played with some pastors and some OPP officers. That's most of the people that play. And we play at missionary church. And uh, usually, I'm the one that picks the teams. And one of the OPP officers complained. He goes, oh, you picked the team. You put all the good players on your team. And I said, of course I did. I said, I'm not going to pick all the worst, thing, worst guys to be on my team. Of course, I didn't pick him. <laughs> and he was upset. I said, well, hey, if you want to be on my team, you can be on my team. He goes, no, it's okay. I'll be on the other team. Well, we killed him. Because <laughs> I had all the big guys on my team, the big guys, and I put all the little guys on his team. And, and, and he didn't like it. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't the chosen. <laughs> Well, listen, God has chosen you. You're chosen by him. You're chosen people. And you need to know that when the the tough times come. And when people say evil things against you, what's part of the response? Hey, God chose me. I know know, you're not choosing me, but God did. That's what's important to me. You're chosen people. Notice what else he says. He says you're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Um, this is a book by a former professor of mine at Dallas Seminary, and the book's called A Kingdom of Priests. And what it is it's just uh, history of the Old Testament, whole, history of Old Testament Israel. And so the title of it, A Kingdom of Priests, and that's what Israel was supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be a priestly nation that would introduce the world to God and would kind of be God's special people to show everybody else what God was like. And, of course, they failed miserably. They did a terrible job. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be representatives of God on this world, but as you read through the Old Testament, it's failure after failure after failure after failure, that's why God had to send his son. People blew it. We got to go some, we got to go a different way. Let's send Jesus into the world, let's pour out my holy spirit, and now guess what? You are the kingdom of priests. Israel couldn't do it. He's now chosen you. To, to represent him to the world. You are the royal priesthood. I don't know if you feel very priest-like, but you should. You are a priest. You are even better than that. You are a royal priest. Uh, did you get your invite to the royal wedding? Probably not. <laughs> That's okay. God's invited you to one. The marriage of his son to his bride, the best wedding ever, you're going, you're a royal priesthood. Notice what else he says. He says you're a holy nation, a holy nation, a people that has been set apart for him. He says you're God's special possession, God's special possession, Um. When we, uh, I don't know if, if you've ever cleaned out someone's house after they've uh, passed away. And uh, you go through their stuff. And you go, why were they hanging on to this stuff? <laughs> most of this stuff is garbage. <laughs> but people treat it like, oh, this is the most wonderful stuff in the world. Right? My grandma, my grandma was a pack rat. Her house was packed. She was a hoarder. She was such a bad hoarder, you couldn't even enter her house. And eventually she had packed herself out of her house, and she was living on her screened-in porch. And all she had left was a chair, and underneath the chair was a space heater. And that was all the space she had left to live. And uh, when the children would go in and try to clean it, she would say, If you touch anything in the house, you're out of the will. So they wouldn't touch anything. (laughs) But she had packed herself out of her house because of all these special possessions that she had, and most of it was garbage. I know because I was the one that had to clean it up. And when we went to clean up the house, we were throwing all the stuff out of the house. And you know what we did with it? We burned it. Put it in a wagon, took it out to the back of the farm, and we set it on fire. Wagon load after wagon load. It was big tomato wagons. And the tomato wagon was like twice the size of a regular wagon. And we were using a tomato wagon because it had a lift on the back where we could lift it up and it would dump out. And we took wagon load after wagon load after wagon load after wagon load. Now, my dad was inside the house going through everything because they thought they would find some money. And they kept going through stuff looking for money. They didn't find any money. There was nothing worth anything. No special possessions at all. It's funny, in our homes, I hope you've got some special possessions, whatever it might be, the photographs, something that you want to pass on to your children, something that is special to you. Most of the stuff we have, though, eh. But you know something? God's got a special possession that is his most favorite possession. And that's you. You are the special possession. And people are going to say, you're Christian, you're a bad person, you're a terrible person, it's not good to have you in society you're terrible, you need to realize that God loves you, and you are his special possession. Not the special possession of the world, the special possession of God. Point number five, we're people with a purpose. And this goes along with, our, with our, the fact that we are this royal priesthood Notice what our purpose is. So you're God's special possession. So that, verse 9, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does God want us to do? Declare how great he is. Listen, God rescued me. God brought me out of the kingdom of darkness. God brought me into the kingdom of his son. I don't deserve to be a a child of God. And I don't deserve to have Jesus as my savior But God has brought me out. That's our our job. That's our purpose. Declare his praises. Point number six. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had no special place, now you're God's people. It's it's still amazing to me that uh, the Jewish people are so hated around the world and uh, if you were if you were to ask someone from the Middle East, what's the problem in the Middle East? likely they would say the Jews right that's what they would say that's not that's not the only problem in the Middle East. but if you were to ask somebody from the Middle East, what's the problem? Jews Jews are the problem a people that God had chosen and set apart, and all the rest of us were not his people. Well, guess what? Now God has chosen you. You are now the people of God. How do you expect the world to respond to you? Guess what? They're going to respond to you the same way they respond to Jews. They hate Jews. They're going to hate you. Yikes. (laughs) I see what they do to Jews. They don't like Jews very much. As Christians, we're going to get the same thing. Uh, Number seven, you're receivers of mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is the feeling word where God looks at us and God feels for us. Um, When uh, Terry Lynn brought Gallant to church a couple of weeks ago, and you look at Gallant, your feeling should be mercy. You look at him and you go, man, a little child does not deserve to have those kind of problems. That, that's mercy. As you feel, and, it, and it's feeling. It's a feeling word. That's what God has for us. As he looks at us and he goes, those human beings, that is so sad. Like, look how terrible their condition is. And he feels for us. And so he sends his son Jesus because of that wonderful feeling for us. That's, that's the mercy of God. The feelings that come up within him and he wants to do something about it because it looks so sad, the situation that we're in. Mercy. Well, that's what we've received. We're the, we, we have received mercy. And you need to realize that as, as, as hits come in the world. Listen, I've received the mercy of God and the feelings of God are for me. And look what he's done for me, even though I didn't deserve it. Finally, we're foreigners and exiles. Foreigners and exiles. Um, G and Rasha aren't here today. So they, Rasha was just telling me last night, they're from Iraq. And uh, she, she has just tried to get a job at Cup uh, of Coffee on Confederation. Is that the name of the place? Okay. Kep- what's that? Th- yeah, that's right. They're Egyptians. So she, she, she just went for training last night. She worked five-hour shift. And then she said to me, she says, well, the owner said, if somebody asks where you're from, don't tell them because they are egyptians no they are egyptians they are egyptians yeah but if somebody asks where you're from don't tell them because canadians are racist that's what he said to them and as soon as they hear you're from iraq or the middle east they're not going to like you and i said well I, i don't know if that's the truth i said i said i said probably the truth is is Canadians are wary because they just don't know they don't they never they don't know Iraqi people, so now you have an Iraqi and you, you don't know what to think right you're a muslim like you, you just don't know uh so I, I, I wasn't sure, but living as a foreigner or exile here's a couple come to our church and they're being told Canadians are racist don't tell anybody where you're from. And you think to yourself, wow, it's hard to be a foreigner or an exile. It's hard. That's what we are as Christians in this world. Don't quite fit in. The world's not quite going to like you. And then when they find out who you are and what you're about, they're not going to like that either. I got five minutes and I got 25 minutes left. So I, had picked out, I picked out a, a story from the Bible to remind you that what we're living in is not unusual for those who follow God. So let me just read you the story of Noah and then make a few comments. This Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intentions of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Wow. Noah's living in a time where God looks down and he goes, everyone is wicked and corrupt. There's only Noah. Wow. Everybody else. And he says the earth is filled with violence. Wow, that that sounds like today. Right? Just filled with violence. And then there's Noah. And God says to him, I'm going to save you. And I'm sure you've heard preachers talk about Noah building the ark before, and fancifully, the preachers have said, imagine what people thought. As he gathered the wood, and as he started to build this huge boat, not in a slip, not by the ocean. Not by a lake. And it would have taken them a long time to build a ship that big. And I'm sure they, they would walk by and go, there's Noah's folly. Oh, stupid Noah. Uh, you know, you all the things. Hey, Noah won't, Noah won't participate in all our games. Noah won't go for drinks. Noah, 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 weirdo. And yet he was the righteous man. One man and his family. It's been done before. And uh, I think that's what we're going to be going through. Already in our culture, we see it. The shift has taken place. Where people speak evil against you. Uh, Be ready. Be prepared. Know who you are. Know who you are. You're special in God's eyes. And you are loved. Loved by him loved by those here. Let's look to the Lord.